go to meetings, find somebody that you admire, that you'd, you'd want to be sober like them, and go ask them how they do it. They they used to tell me, stick with the winners, and that was an old adage that still holds. I heard it through the grapevine. Welcome. It's the AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour, featuring the collected voices of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm Don, an alcoholic in Greensboro, North Carolina. Hey, everybody. I'm Sam, an alcoholic in Palm Springs, California. So, Don, Donnie Dog. What? <laughs> what you been up to? Sam Dog. <laughs> oh. I visited the grapevine. I visited the archives at the General Service Office in New York, and I ended up spending hours examining the first seven years of the Grapevine magazine. The archives. Now, that's like down in the basement below the sub levels, even below the basement, the catacombs, all, all musky and dirty and wet and cobwebs and creaking doors. And help me open this giant iron door. <laughs> Let me clear the cop. No, it's not like that at all. It's a, I, oh. I think it's on the seventh or floor. I don't know what floor it's on. It's up in a skyscraper. AA World Services is on that floor. The Grapevine offices are on that floor. And the archives are on that floor. Oh. It's an office building, and it's a beautiful space. I went and sat down in the book reading room, and they had the Grapevine magazines all bound together. They had them in volumes. Well, now that sounds really cool, but I've got to ask first, because there's a, a book reading room. Yeah. That implies to me that it would be kind of like going to the library. Was there someone there to shush you if you started talking? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and also, first names only. No, it was, uh, <laughs> there's a receptionist. And actually, he showed me where the grapevines were. There's all kinds of books. There's all this literature that's there. You know, they got every uh, edition of the big book is there. And these are things that you can look at and read there in place. So I started going through the Grapevine magazines. And now, I don't know, there's something about you can look at it digitally. The, I think you can see the first issue in the app. In the, in the archives on the app. I'm sure you can. Sure. Yeah. But there's something about seeing actually the paper and the size of the paper. It's like the size of eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. So it's, they're large at the beginning. And Sam, in the first issue, so it's uh, June 1944, they had a column called Time on Your Hands, Time Fillers, like... <laughs> When you get sober, time, the day expands. It does tend to do that. Yeah. Well, they had a column with suggestions of things you can do. Now, this is 1944. This is the first issue of the grapevine. Here's one. New York hospitals want men and women for messengers and elevator operators. You can volunteer as an elevator operator. I would love to be of an elevator operator. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> That This is for you, Sam. I think particularly you really would like to do this. You're now living in California, right? And that's mm -hmm. the land of agriculture. The War Manpower Commission wants volunteers for the U.S. Crop Corps for summer and fall harvesting. Rebuild one's health and help Uncle Sam at no expense. 
So you could go work on a farm and harvest crops, Sam. That's what you can do with your free time. Let me think about that. No. <laughs> no. Harvesting crops is a little bit much. I think that might make the day a little longer. <laughs> it might. Well, this, this last one was hilarious. There's a fascinating place in the village that's Greenwich Village, New York City. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that's yeah. what they're talking about. There is a fascinating place in the village called the Clay Club, 4 West 8th Street, where long-suppressed artistic ambitions can materialize into Greek vases or undraped nudes by playing around with hunks of wet clay. <laughs> the Clay Club. The Clay Club. <laughs> that, I feel like we need to recreate the Clay Club, particularly for new alcoholics. <laughs> well, when did the Wits End start? I never ran into it because I only went through seven years. But in the first seven years, the first humor section was in the second issue. That was in July 1944. It was heard at meetings. Which is very similar. Yeah, that sounds very familiar to something. (laughs) What is it? It's on the tip of my tongue. Hashtag heard in a meeting. Pound sign heard. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's right. So these are heard at actual meetings in New York at the time. White Plains. An alcoholic is a person who finds he has nothing in common with himself. (laughs) Hmm. That's pretty deep. (laughs) Makes you think, doesn't it? Inner group meeting. An alcoholic is a man with two feet firmly planted in the air. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, where are your feet, Don? My feet are firmly on the ground, Sam. As they should be. Thank you. So I kept flipping through and I came to number nine, February 1946. A column had started called Barley corn. So the first pure humor column was called barley corn, not wits in. Oh, as in corny. It's corny, all right. Barley corny. So this was 1946. Harry Truman was president of the United States at the time. You know, this is World War II era. The joke is the current crop of recruits in Washington, D.C. is said to be coming in suffering from delirium Trumans. (laughs) Oh, that is so bad. It's clever. Very topical, very topical of the time. That was obviously before we decided that politics was not going to be part of what's going (laughs) on. (laughs) That's right. They have Bill W's sofa that was actually in his office. You can sit on it. And above the sofa is a picture of Bill. And he has his feet up on his desk and he's leaning back. You know, he's an incredibly casual guy. So you're saying Bill (laughs) W has got his feet firmly planted in midair. Yeah, yeah, he does. Sounds like an alcoholic. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Sam, that was fun. What's happening on the show today? Well, Don, today we welcome Riley from Winston, Oregon. She's currently a Pacific Region trustee, and I heard her at PRASA this year. That's the Pacific Region of Alcoholics Anonymous Service Assembly. And I was amazed with her talking about how many young people meetings she has started over many years. 
So she's kind of like the Johnny Appleseed of AA, the, the Riley Appleseed. <laughs> Maybe. We'll find out from Riley about that. <laughs> and we also have the Daily Quotes segment. You can find Daily Quotes from Literature in the Grapevine app or subscribe at aagrapevine.org. Get that app, y'all. Hey, Don, how can I support the Grapevine podcast? Since the Grapevine is self-supporting, we don't sell ad space in our magazines, on our website, or even on our podcast. Grapevine doesn't even accept contributions from AA members. What? If you want to support the podcast, visit aagrapevine.org and click on store. Thanks, Don. Thanks, Sam, for inviting me here today. I'm really glad to be here. My name is Riley, and I'm an alcoholic. I live in Oregon, although I got sober in California. And my sobriety date is August 7th, 1966. Whoa. Riley, what was going on in 1966 with you? Well, I was running out of places to live. I was homeless and people would extend their hospitality to me, but I had this terrible habit of disappearing and turning up a little while later or days later drunk and they'd get really upset with me and and keep telling me that I had to do something about my drinking. And so I found AA in the phone book. They used to have those. I remember phone books. Yeah. <laughs> it was so exciting when the new phone books no. came out. Oh, and, so, and I knew they had, uh, I had heard of AA three years earlier, but that was in Washington when I lived in Washington State. How had you heard of AA? I heard from a public information, a public service announcement at the radio station I worked at. Oh. They're still doing public service announcements. And uh, and they were doing them then, not not very many. And uh, one day I heard this one for the first time and the only time that I'd ever heard about AA. So that was, I never did anything about it, but at least I was aware of it. And then three years later, when I, I was in California and I thought, I wonder if AA is in California too. And so I looked at the phone book, uh, uh, phone book and there it was. And I called and I went to a meeting. I stayed sober for a little while, but not not all that long. It wasn't too successful. That's really jumping into something that you don't know anything about. I mean, for someone to come to AA today, there's so much information about what AA is. Like, I mean, AA meetings are in movies and on TV shows, but you went to an AA meeting not really knowing much of anything about it, right? Right. The only thing I really knew about alcoholism was from the publications from the National Council on Alcoholism, founded by Marty M. I had been given those pamphlets when I was 15. How did you get them when you were 15? A speaker from the National Council came to my school and, and talked. So oh. I talked to him afterwards. He loaded me down with literature. And so I had that, but it was a few years later that I found that public service announcement and, and discovered Alcoholics Anonymous. Were you a beatnik? 
no, I missed all of that. <laughs> I was a drunk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Were there other young people in the group? Not at that time, not where I lived in rural California. There were some people that I met when I was sober a year down in Hollywood. There were three young people's meetings in uh, Southern California at that time, Laguna Beach, Hollywood, and San Diego. So a group of us got together and started young people's groups in Southern California. And there are thousands of them now, but there were three when we started that. Well, it sounds like you were the type of drunk who blacked out. I did. You you said you disappeared and you were homeless. Mm -hmm. What did they offer as a solution? What happened when you came to AA that enabled you to quit drinking? Um, fear of uh, when I finally got sober, it was fear of death. I was prone to having accidents, lots of life threatening accidents, and and I would mm. I would end up in the hospital a lot. And so I finally got scared enough, and by that time I knew about AA and I knew where they were. I was really afraid that they wouldn't let me back in because I'd never seen anybody oh. come back. I'd seen them leave. But uh, they told me, no, they don't come back because they die. And so mm. that's what I was facing. So what was the reception when you came back? It was, yeah, yeah, you can. But this time you got to change your attitude. <laughs> <laughs> and did that happen? Uh, it took a little while. <laughs> so did you have difficulty? Did you get a sponsor at first? I did not. There was nobody within 20 years of my age around, and it just wasn't comfortable for them to be talking to a young girl. I was 21. Okay. It was uncomfortable, but they answered my questions. So I didn't have one responsible person to talk to, but I did have everybody. There were like 10, 12 women in the group, and I could call any of them. They would always answer. <laughs> <laughs> and they'd always give me something to do to keep from taking another drink. And I stayed sober using all of them for quite a long time. Can you give us any examples of what they offered for you to do instead of taking a drink? Uh, I have my favorite one. That oh, oh, I know what it is. You volunteered to work on a farm. <laughs> <laughs> no, I... You became an elevator operator. <laughs> I, I didn't. But one of the ladies that I went to, I, I said, what can you tell me to do for a little while? Because I'm, I really want to drink all the time and I'm not drinking. I want to stay that way. And she said, oh, well, you could sew. And I reared back and I said, I ride motorcycles. I don't sew. <laughs> and she said, well, I, I guess you'll have to drink then. And she walked off. Oh, <laughs> sewing is not cool. No, but I have this quilt that it took me five years to make. <laughs> oh, well, that is fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So I Did you do it while you were riding your motorcycle? <laughs> that would have been cool. Been <laughs> Actually, I was going to ask, did you do it while gargling peanut butter? Which is something that you hear you, I'll do anything to stay sober, including gargling peanut butter. For you, the equivalent is sewing. <laughs> but I eventually did everything that was suggested to do, even though I objected valiantly. 
What was your experience of working the steps? Was there something along the way that was just like, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling rebellious against this. I, I'm not going to do that. Or did it just unfold easily for you? I didn't have any problem with the first one because because of those pamphlets and, and literature that I got, I knew I was an alcoholic. So that that was never a problem. It was my excuse for a long time, but it was never my problem. But there came a day when I didn't think I could stay sober the rest of the day. I, AA doesn't work for people like me. But I ran into one woman who said, AA has a program. It has 12 steps and you could work some of them and I will help you. And so we started uh, working. She, she led me through the steps from then on. And I developed from that living the steps for the rest of my life, living in them, living by them. And that's how I live, according to what the steps have, have taught me. That bit of practicing these principles and all that. That's our what it is. Yep. You've got practice. You've got how many years? 57 years of practice. 57 years of practice yeah. doing this. And I imagine your muscle memory is pretty good at this point. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't doesn't always get easier, but it does get faster. I let go of things a lot faster than I ever was able yeah. to before. Oh, I like that. That's one of Don's favorite yeah, things. Let's he lets go of things just as hard as he possibly can. <laughs> but I I know what you're saying, Riley, in that the longer that I've been sober, the place that I let go is much earlier than when I used to, which is why it like is. in the promises, yeah. it says we will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. And I can say that that's true compared yes. to when I was new. It's like I had no idea how to deal with life's problems. It's it's hard when you haven't had any experience with dealing with them. <laughs> <laughs> People like us just walk off and leave them, let somebody else deal with them. So tell us what a trustee does in simple terms. You said it seems like it's a lot of work. <laughs> well, we we oversee the working to the board. I'm on the board and we we don't make decisions as such. The fellowship does that through the conference, but we try to make sure that what the conference has decided is carried out. And we make decisions on the, the processes, not the policies. And that gets ah. confusing for, for people sometimes. But as a regional trustee, I get the fun part because I get to travel to each of the 15 areas in my region, in the Pacific region. So I went to an orientation in Hawaii where I got to meet the GSRs as they were discussing things that their group was facing. It gets me on the ground. And last weekend, I was in San Diego uh, meeting people that were talking about things that they were facing. And I get to know firsthand exactly what what the whole region is like, who's in it, what they do, how, how they think. They get to know me a little bit. And I give reports of what we're doing at, at the board level. But mostly I get to see people all over the West who are staying sober, helping each other, and keeping their group alive. It's just fantastic. It's awesome. You you light up talking <laughs> about <too>. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
And I bet, so, you know, my experience with you was hearing you up on the podium talking about this. I imagine so much of what your experience is, is not only that you're talking to a large group of people, but it's those one-on-one conversations and those little small group conversations that you get to have with people all in your region that just really add so much to your life, I would imagine. Oh, you're giving me chills just just mentioning that. That's the best thing. Uh, One of the first things I ever learned was to go wherever I am, to go sit in a different place every time we have a meal or a get-together. And and so I don't go sit with my friends. I I go sit with somebody I've never met before, and and I find out who they are. It's just it's wonderful. I just can't explain how great it is to be able to meet people you've never met before and fall in love with them all instantly. You sound like a bee that is cross pollinating flying from field to field and carrying information <laughs> from one to the other. And because you're collecting this from all over. The, so the, the trustee is kind of like gathering how AA works everywhere and putting it together and then spreading that to another place. Is, the, is that metaphor making <laughs> sense? That metaphor makes sense. I'm not sure I like it. <laughs> <laughs> So you're not going to wear a bee outfit no, the next time you're at a no. podium? <laughs> <laughs> well, Don, you'll have to try that on someone else. <laughs> I think all the trustees should have a bee uniform. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a good thing that we don't adapt all of your... your. Uh, it's just a suggestion. <laughs> just a suggestion. Okay. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Riley, you have, as we mentioned earlier, a lot of time that you have practiced these principles, living this way, working the program of AA and being a part of this fellowship. Now condense that down into two minutes. (laughs) It's realizing that the best thing I can do in any situation is just let go of it. And I have to remind myself constantly when something gets rough, Um, Or I get angry, which doesn't happen very often, but it can happen and it can be just a momentary thing, but it sets up a little red flag. I have those those flags that, that come up and this flag will say, just let go of it. It doesn't matter. It's okay. And then I do because that's where the practice comes in. It's not in in taking my inventory because I am pretty well versed in who I am and how I react to things. And so when I feel something that is going to get me in trouble, if I hang on to it, I just remind myself of that moment, that one moment in my very first fifth step, when I was asked, do you really want to keep these things? And I said, no, and I can refeel that wanting to let go of it. Anytime I want to bring that back, it comes back. I refill it and then I and then it becomes easy to to say, okay, I'm letting that go. What if it's something where on principle it is absolutely a wrong thing? How do you justify letting go of that? Well, I if it's appropriate, I can let them know what I think, but it's not always appropriate. Can't insert my feelings into um as somebody else. But I have to remember that they have the right to be wrong. 
and I can be right and they can be wrong. And as long as we don't have to each put our feelings into action, if it is something that we both have to act on, generally we can just agree to feel differently and you do what you can to make this thing work that we're working on. And I'll do what I can to make this thing work so that it comes out all right. And we just don't talk about how we feel about it. That seems simplistic, but it that really works. Yeah, it's even if the other person is wrong in what they're doing, and I insist on holding on and fighting about it, I'm the one who's living in turmoil. Do I want to be right or do I want to be happy? <laughs> Well, the other part of that is they are thinking the same thing. And if they're willing to give it up, then they're willing for me to be wrong and then to stay being right. So, <laughs> so nobody is better than the other one. And my version of, of right and wrong is probably just so different from the other person's version of right and wrong that there's no meeting of the minds. That's just not going to happen. So I have to realize that to them, I'm wrong. And that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, we have ceased fighting anything and any That's other. That's exactly where that comes from, yeah. And do you know about the daily quote? I do. Cool. You can subscribe to it on aagrapevine.org. If you download the Grapevine app, it's just sitting there waiting for you every day when you open the app. That's provided at no cost as yeah. well. All right, I'm spinning the wheel here. And we have... As by some deep instinct, we AAs have known from the very beginning that we must never, no matter what the provocation, publicly take sides in any fight, even a worthy one. AA co-founder Bill W., February 1953, Tradition 10, The Language of the Heart. Okay, I literally did just go random, <laughs> and that is what showed up. Damn. <laughs> We've talked about that. this. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, we In have. <laughs> but so, I, I uh, love the way up. that AA does not get involved in any fights. I mean, that's what Bill's talking about. So we were talking about it on a personal level, but it, I think he's talking about it in terms of AA itself is not going to get embroiled in fights over anything that would divert us from our primary purpose of being here and being available to help the still suffering alcoholic. But you know how we learned that? How? How's that? By doing those things. Yes. Yes. That would be uh, something to do with perhaps rule 62, right? <laughs> As you were saying, Don, it's so important that we have no opinion on outside issues. And it's because if we were to pull in as AA opinions on various things out in the world, then we make it so that AA is not welcoming of people who don't have that opinion or are opposed to it. Let's take another spin. Here we go. AA recovery cannot be bought and sold, but more than once I've wished I could just send a monthly check instead of practicing those principles. Just making donations seems an easier, softer way, doesn't it? AA is not for sale. New York, New York, August 1998 in the AA Grapevine. Riley. No, it's not, but you can send that monthly check anyhow. 
while you're working. <laughs> Subscribe to the app. You know, you can't make a contribution to the grapevine. It's true. It's only supported by subscriptions and sales of the products. But you can make a contribution to the general service board. But that alone won't keep you sober. No, it, throwing money at things. It's like we're conditioned to say yeah. that this is how you fix yeah. things. And it's not one of our tools. What are our tools, Sam? Those would be our program, as well as the many things that we've learned along the way. Riley, thank you so much for joining us. I'm glad to get to have a little one-on-one. -on -one. I mean, Don was part of it, but you know, I'm glad to get to have a little one-on-one -on -one conversation with you. Very nice to be here. Thank you for having me here today. It's been wonderful. You can give a gift subscription of Grapevine or Lavinia. Grapevine has a long waiting list of incarcerated members who want one. Get your group, district, area, or AA friends to join in. It's easy. Go to aagrapevine.org and look for Carry the Message at the top of the site. I'm at the very wit's end. An historic short snort from December 1959. Doctor, I don't know if it's the drinking, but I don't seem to be able to remember anything anymore. How long has this been bothering you? Oh, uh, how long has what been bothering me? <laughs> it's really not that funny. Thanks for joining us. The AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour is posted every Monday and is produced by AA Grapevine, Inc. We don't speak for AA as a whole. We share the experience, strength, and hope of members to help others recover from alcoholism. Podcast info, including how to call in, is at aagrapevine.org slash podcast. Find AA Grapevine on Instagram and the AA Grapevine channel on YouTube. All things Grapevine are available at aagrapevine.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org.